you know, when, when we were starting our church and thinking about the values of our church and, and the church that we wanted to be, one of the core values that was really deep into uh, how we wanted to be as a church was this understanding of discipleship uh, and how we've, one of the ways that we've defined discipleship or one of the most important things about discipleship is to uh, follow, to, to obey and to know uh, the word of God, to be obedient to Christ, to be obedient to the word of God. Um, and uh, what I'm going to be preaching on today, the t- title of today's sermon is called Blessed Obedience. And we're going to be looking at Psalm chapter 119. Uh, verses one to eight, Psalm chapter 119, verses one to eight. Uh, Many of you know Psalm 119 simply as the longest chapter in the Bible. Uh, (laughs) It is longer than many books of the Bible, which is pretty crazy. Uh, That is how I knew it most of my life and why I never read it (laughs) because uh, it was so long. I was thinking, who Psalms are to be read in 30 seconds to a minute. Who wants to spend more than two minutes reading a Psalm? This is, that was basically my teenage years looking over Psalm 119. Uh, but Psalm 119 is actually very beautiful and really uh, goes over our, one of our core values, which is discipleship really well, which is knowing and obeying the word of God. Uh, so if you've never dived into 119 before, Essentially, why it is so long is because it takes each of the 22 Hebrew letters and the writer of Psalm 119 for every letter uh, in the Hebrew language writes a poem or response for that letter around loving the law. And there's so many different words used for the law just in the first stanza that we see in this first eight verses. All of them are uh, eight verses long um, and we see so many different ways, the the testimonies of God, the commandments of God, the precepts of God, the statutes of God, the law of God, all these different ways to describe uh, what the scriptures should be and, and, and mean to us, the, the law, the scripture, the word of God. And so it's really a beautiful thing. If you go through it on your own, um, you can go through it and just know that it will deepen your hunger to follow and obey uh, God's word, which is what we, one of the main things that we want to see in our church. And there's so many things that we do because we want to see that and how we preach, uh, is one of them going through the verses. So, uh, it's just really about the beauty of the law. And we're going to read this because, uh, this portion of scripture is just one of my favorites when talking about having a hunger and a desire to follow God, to be obedient to God, which is so important in our walk with God. Um, and so we're going, this section has three movements in it. The first movement is those who are blessed. And so we're about to read, uh, this together. Those who are blessed, uh, what God's will is, is the second movement. And the third movement is our response to what we've read so far. And so let's read verses one to eight together. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. 
then I shall not be put to shame having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Father, I pray that as we read your scripture and we go through it today, that you will uh, just increase our desire to know you, to increase our desire to be obedient towards you, towards your word, what you have left for us to understand your character. Holy Spirit, would you come right now, Lord, and just be with us as we go through your scripture again. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So I just want to read the first few verses again, which is the blessing that is offered here. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. When we talk about the blessing of the Lord, specifically here, what we're talking about is God's favor. And a lot of people want to know, how do I walk in God's blessing? How do I walk in God's favor? Well, right here gives us many ways, actually six ways to have the blessing of God in your life. And so if you are wondering, how, God, do I walk in your blessing? How do I walk in your favor? Well, this psalm outlines six ways that we can walk in the blessing of God, how we have God's blessing over everything that we do, over who we are, over our life, over our home. How do we do that? Well, the first way that we see God's blessing over our life here, the psalmist says, is those whose way is blameless. Those whose way is blameless. What I love about this word blameless here uh, is that it means that we go above what the law requires, right? In, uh, and, and, and more than just in our, our own welfare, but in communal welfare, it is to look for the welfare, the holiness, the well-being of those around you. So when you're blameless in the sight of God, it isn't just that, hey, I've done well, but I've looked around and I've surveyed the people around me and I've looked to increase the holiness of those around me. I've looked to the welfare of those around me. I've looked to the well-being of those around me. Galatians 5 is, is very famous because it goes through the fruit of the Spirit, self-control, patience, kindness, goodness, right? All of these things that we know that are the fruit of the Spirit. And it says this one thing. It says, against such things, there is no law. When we look at the fruit of the Spirit, when we look at what it means to be blameless in the sight of God, it means that we don't look at the, at, at the law of the land to tell us what the line is of righteousness. Well, you know, if I go around this area, this is a gray area, I can get around it, or really uh, the, the, the law doesn't tell me I need to do this or do that. When you are blameless in the sight of God, there is something that the Spirit deposits in you that you look around, you don't need a law to tell you what is right and wrong, because the Spirit moves in your heart in such a way that you not only look to follow God with your whole heart, but you look around you and how you can help others increase in their holiness towards the Lord God. And so the first way of blessing here is to walk blameless before the Lord, to not only live a life of righteousness, but help those around you live a life of righteousness. The the, the, the coming of the Holy Spirit in our hearts is not, and, and this is my issue when people say that I have a personal relationship with God 
and they leave it at that because they they forget about the communal relationship of God that we are supposed to have, that the, the, the favor of God, the first understanding of his blessing here in Psalm 119, which goes over his blessing so often, is this understanding of blamelessness, which means is a communal understanding of our relationship with God. The second blessing uh, way to walk in the blessing of God, the second way to have God's favor over your life here, it says those who walk in the law. Now the law here is the Torah. You know, the Torah is the first five books of the Bible in the Old Testament, uh, Genesis, Exodus, uh, Numbers, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. Um, you know, the, the Torah is not irrelevant to us. Um, I remember when I was in seventh grade, uh, I was in a, like this after school activity basketball program. And I had gone to a Christian school at this point. And so there, there's one of the dads of the kids that came to the school. And uh, he was like, you know what, I'm going to do an after school program. And any of the, any of the, the guys that want to play basketball, you can come, we'll do a Bible study. And after the Bible study, we'll play some basketball. So I said, okay. And I went, I uh, figured I get to play with some friends. I get to push off my homework a little bit longer. What could go wrong? Uh, so I went with a bunch of friends. We, we were sitting down to do our Bible study. Now, um, there is one worst nightmare of like every Sunday school teacher. And essentially this guy was a Sunday school teacher at this moment uh, for kids. And that is to have PKs in your class. Uh, and a PK is a pastor's kid. And so because I went to a Christian school, there were two PKs in this class. There was me and this other guy, Larry Pitta, who uh, his dad pastors a church. I think it's Sunset Park Community Church on Fifth Avenue or Fourth Avenue in Sunset. And I think he uh, helps pastor that church now as well. So me and him were both sitting here and this guy uh, starts reading a scripture uh, from Jesus. And I don't even remember how it got here, but he says the Old Testament is irrelevant. We don't have to know it and it doesn't matter to us. And I remember thinking, that doesn't sound right. And so, you know, I do what my dad has taught me to do, which is basically debate people that say dumb things. Uh, and so uh, I started telling him, well, what about where Jesus quotes the Old Testament here, quotes them here. And then when I was stumped on something, my, my friend Larry would be like, oh, what about this? You forgot about this. And essentially, we never got to play basketball that day because we <laughs> debated for an hour on whether the Old Testament was still relevant or not. And then I went home, told my dad, and the basketball class got canceled. So word to the wise, never <laughs> let a PK into your Bible study because you may never play basketball again. <laughs> Uh, but essentially what we found out was he was trying, he, you know, he was trying, he didn't, he wasn't a part of a church and he was trying to indoctrinate us into his way of understanding, reading the scripture and his way of reading the scripture. A large part of it was the old Testament, uh, didn't make sense and wasn't a part of the new covenant. And when I get into debates with people, I actually hear this pretty often. Well, that's the old Testament or well, that's, that's the, uh, you know, where is that in the new Testament? And I granted there are some arguments like the food laws. Uh, there are some arguments where that makes sense, but by and large, we are not supposed to throw away the Old Testament. Why? Because in the Old Testament, in the Torah, in the law of God, we 
understand and learn about the character of God. Through the law, through the Torah, the character of God is revealed to us. So if you want to learn more about God, there is actually nowhere that you should run to more than the Torah because through God's spoken word, through his law, we learn about his character. And we, I actually did an entire series through Deuteronomy, and I think we only covered even about 20% of Deuteronomy when I went through this series, yet it was so rich with the character of God. There's this misconception that the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament, but people that say that just have not thoroughly read and studied the God of the Old Testament, have not thoroughly read and studied the Torah, where so many times God tells Israel, I am giving you this not because of your righteousness. I am giving you this as a mercy and a grace upon you. That should sound familiar if you understand the gospel and you understand Jesus. This is God's character from the very beginning and and who he was. And so the Torah is something that we can still walk in in understanding the word of God and understanding the character of God and knowing how to walk out this life. This is not something we abandon, but we can go to the law to understand the character of God and walk in God's character. Why did God make these laws? What did he set? What does it mean for these laws to be there? And when you dig into those things, you learn about who God is and it helps you understand and follow him more. The third way that we see God's favor on our life are those who keep his testimonies. Now, what is a testimony of God? God's testimonies are what God has swore to be his will. God's testimonies are what God has sworn to be his will. Have you sought out what God's will is in scripture? You know, uh, God's will... uh, In scripture, I promise it has very little to do with your career choice uh, for what you're going to do. Um, It it has a lot to do with how you treat others. It has a lot to do with following his word. It has a lot to do with orienting your heart. And in our culture today, we have relegated the will and the calling of God to one sector of our life. And that is this. Well, maybe two. Two. Uh, Who will I marry? And what will I do for work? These are the only two things that we seek God's will on. What is my career and calling? And who am I supposed to marry? Uh, Yet those two things, we actually find almost nothing about God's will in scripture. Uh, And what you do find God's will of is all of it can be summed up in two things, Jesus says, to love God and to love others, right? If, if you look at what has God sworn to be his will over and over and over again in scripture, it has a lot to do with how you are treating people and how you are orienting your heart towards God the Father. How are you orienting your, your space, your mind, your heart, your desires, your affections, towards God? And how does that orientation of your heart, your mind, your will, your strength now affect how you treat others, how you treat the people around you? God's testimonies are the things that he has sworn. This is what I want. This is my will. This is what I have for you. Have you sought out what God's will in scripture is? God's will in scripture 
will be so much revolving around your heart posture towards him and how you treat others. And so not around who you marry and what you do for your career. These are obsessions of the 21st century, the 20th century. These are not obsessions of scripture. And so we need to understand what is God's will when we're talking about it, when we're searching it out in scripture, when we're praying over it, when we're looking at it, that God, when I want to follow your will, when I want to know your will, so many Christians, they go to conference after conference. God, I want to know your will. I want to know your call. I want to know your will. I want to know your call. God's will, his call is made plain for us in the scriptures. We don't know it when we have not searched out the scriptures to understand it. And so if you are looking for the will of God, if you're looking for God's testimonies, what has he sworn that he wants us to do? Then I would encourage you, search out the scriptures because his will is made plain in the scriptures. The more you search out the scriptures, the more you search out the law, the more you search out his statutes, his precepts, the more you will understand his will for your life. The next thing that scripture says about the blessing of God here in Psalm 119 is those will be blessed who seek him with their whole heart. God is not looking for a piece of your heart. He isn't even looking for 99% of your heart. I know some of you have heard me use this analogy before, but I'm going to use it again for for the ones that haven't heard it yet. You know, Heather made an incredible brownie yesterday. Uh, I enjoyed that brownie at night. Uh, I wasn't supposed to. It was like 10 o'clock. You know, I have a food cutoff time. But when you smell the brownie in the house and you go into the kitchen and it's just sitting there, how do you not eat the brownie? It's impossible. I don't have that level of self-control yet. Uh, So I was eating the brownie last night and it was perfect as I thought through this analogy today because Uh, Usually when we go to God, we think, well, God will be okay with the 99% and and that is okay. But imagine, imagine somebody made you a brownie and you are just enjoying that brownie. Uh, And then they tell you, yeah, that's that's a good brownie. It's 99% brownie. And you're like, okay, Uh, I... Okay, well, you know, why isn't it a whole brownie? It's what's what's the other one percent? Well, the other one percent is feces. It's ninety nine percent brownie. It's one percent feces. What are you going to do at that point? You probably start throwing up. Uh, the person that told you this will start throwing up if they have throw up reactions. Throw up, and uh, I don't know if you've ever seen that Office episode where uh, they're all Pam is pregnant and everybody doesn't want her. Uh, she's, she's telling, I think it was Phyllis not to eat an egg (laughs) and she starts eating it anyway. And Pam throws up and then Andy throws up and then Dwight and everybody starts throwing up. And essentially that's the reaction. Uh, it was Dwight. Thank you, Flo. I know we have enough office fans (laughs) in the church to correct me. Um, so uh, imagine someone gives you a brownie, says it's 99% brownie, it's 1% feces. What are you going to do? You are not going to eat that brownie. You are, if you've already eaten, you're going to spit it out. You're going to hate that person. If, if it was like me, it was, if it was your wife or your spouse, there's going to have to be some reconciliation there uh, that's going to happen in your marriage because of what you've done to me. But yet so often we, we go to God and we say, I'll give God uh, not even 90%. What What is uh, two hours on a Sunday? That's like a, 
maybe 5% of our wake time in our life. And we think, God, that that is good enough. Or I, I, I do my midweek Bible study, or I do my five minutes in the morning, or, you know, I do my 10 minutes here. And I just, I don't want you to touch these parts of my life. I don't want you to touch this part in my life. And so I'm going to give you 99% of me, but I am not going to give you 100%. And that's that's what we're we're telling God. We are we're who who wants the ninety nine percent brownie? Nobody wants the ninety nine percent brownie, right? And and yet we are asking God to only accept the part of. <laughs> I, you know what's dangerous about me preaching on my laptop is I see the chat when <laughs> when I don't preach on my laptop I don't see the chat. So this is this is bad. <laughs> it's okay. I like it. Um, <laughs> Uh, I, I know though that what I love about this though, is it's, he says, those who seek them, seek him with their whole heart. So God is not looking for part of our heart. God is not looking for almost our whole heart. He is looking for the entire thing. He is looking for all of us. He is looking for a hundred percent of us to be given him. And that is the favor of God that comes upon us when he finds people that have given them his whole heart, that hold nothing back from him, that go to him and say, God, you can have everything. And next he says is, bless those who do no wrong. You know, I, I come across this pretty often as well. When people say, when, when we're having a conversation, and I, you know, I, I do this often. I'll point out sin in your life. Uh, it's just, it's just something that has to happen. I can't, if you're talking to me and something is sinful and you think it's okay, then I have to point it out. Um, and you know, the, the conversation of goes, well, you know, God understands, you know, this is, this is a struggle. I've tried to get over it before. I've tried not to do it. I haven't really been able to. And so it's just something that I, I live with. Um, and then I, I hear this, well, Paul had a, a thorn in his side and he prayed for God to get rid of it and he never got rid of it. And it's, it's, well, first of all, Paul, Paul's thorn in the side, uh, was theologically the chance of it being sin is pretty much nothing. Uh, and also it was three prayers, uh, that he prayed. Um, and, um, it was more likely a situation or a person who has had a person that's been a thorn in their side. I know I have had uh, a few thorns in my side that I've asked God to remove, uh, but have not been removed. <laughs> God has grown in my, me and my holiness uh, because of that. <laughs> and so um, what has been great is that um, when we go to God and we tell God that, Hey God, I am I am going to seek you and these areas of my life these are really hard to get over. And so because they're hard to get over, we're just going to skip over that and we're going to plead the the grace of God over those areas and 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 just pretend like we, you know me and God have an understanding. You know, we we are good, we know what's going on, that we don't have to go there, we don't have to talk about these things because everything is okay there, but that is that is not what God is asking for. God's grace does not exist so that you can sin without shame. Like God's grace does not exist so that you can sin and be and live in that sin and in that squalor. God's grace does not 
exist so that you have an excuse to live the life that you want to live. This is not why God's grace exists. God is constantly asking for everything that we have, for our whole heart. It's saying, it says, blessed are those who do no wrong. This is not a half in, half out. You cannot serve two masters. It is either you are serving God and everything you are doing is to fight the temptation to sin. And when you sin, there is conviction and it brings you before the cross of God. And there is repentance and saying, I will turn away. And you understand the cost of that grace. You understand the cost of that sin and it makes you weep. It brings distress upon your life and you say, God, how do I walk away from this? Whatever it will take, I will do. I do not want to do this anymore. Blessed are those who walk in his ways. This speaks to our way of life. Is your life a testimony to the power of Jesus? Or is it more like a billboard in the current age filled with screens, worry, and covetedness, right? Is is your life a testimony of Jesus or does it project the things that the world projects today? Is it it filled with the technology? Is it filled with screens? Is it filled with worry? Is it filled with anxiousness over tomorrow? Is it filled with covetedness over those things that you cannot afford or you cannot buy or that somebody else has? What does your life look like? What way do you walk in? Do you walk in the way of the world or do you walk in his ways? Is your life a testimony unto God? Does it speak of his goodness? Does it speak of his statutes? Does it speak of his character? Or does it speak of Netflix? Does it speak of phones? Does it speak of Instagram? Does it speak of shopping? Does it speak of those things that you want that you cannot have? What ways of life do you walk in? And so after the psalmist says, These, this is God's favor and God's blessing over your life. This is, this is God's, this is the, the people that walk in God's blessing, the people that walk in his favor. These are the ways of their life. This is how you have God's blessing. He says this, this is God's will, this second movement in verse four. He says, you have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Here's another way of saying that word instead of saying precepts. You have commanded the things you want to be done to be kept diligently, to be done diligently. You have commanded the things you want to be done to be done diligently. God does not write commands and ask for obedience as like a fun game uh, in our life. He does it because he wants it. Not only does he want it, but he commands obedience of those who serve him. He commands obedience of those who call him father. He commands obedience. He wants the things that he has commanded to actually be walked out and to be kept in our life. And that's really important to understand. The law or God's way of life, those were not suggestions. If you, these were his commands. You know, a lot of times the the Ten Commandments are looked at like the Ten Suggestions if you want to have a happy life. Well, maybe you should 
follow these things or, or following Jesus. You know, if you want to be happy, these things are good. But these are these are not suggestions. These are commands that he commands. And as his subjects, we are expected to walk in those commands that we grow in our knowledge of what those are, that we grow in our understanding of what those are, that we grow in our desire to follow them and to walk in them. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, an incredible pastor who lived during the time of Nazi Germany and was actually executed because of his outspokenness towards the injustice of Nazi Germany, said this about obedience. He said, Only he who believes is obedient. Only he who is obedient believes. That is the two sides of the gospel where um, that is so beautiful. And I love that. I'm going to say that again. Only he who believes is obedient. It is our belief that enables us to walk in obedience to Jesus. Only he who is obedient believes. Yet it is the fruit of that belief that shows true belief in our heart and faithfulness towards God. God calls those who believe in him to be faithful to the things that he has called us to be faithful to. Now, the third part of this psalm is actually a movement, a response of the psalmist after everything he just read. And this will probably be many of our responses. Let's read the response. What should our response be after learning about the blessings and the will of God? Verse 5, 6, and 7, and 8. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame. Having my eyes fixed on all your commandments, I will praise you with an upright heart. When I learn your righteous rules, I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. The response is a prayer. Why is it a prayer? Because we cannot do all that we have read on our own. It is the power of God and his love towards us that enables us to walk in his ways. It is his spirit that transforms our desires and his way and our ways to conform to his ways and to be like him. If you, if you listen to that first part of the passage of what it means to walk in the blessing and the favor of God, and in all honesty, you just thought, man, I'm screwed. I am never going to have the blessing of God. I am never going to walk in God's favor. Then this prayer is for you. God has not forsaken you. He is prompting you now to seek him and to listen to his will, his commandments, and to dive into your understanding where he says right here in verse 7, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. So there is a learning that is going to occur that, God, I did not realize this. I I have forsaken this part. I thank you for bringing it either to my remembrance or thank you for teaching me what has happened. And now I'm going to forsake my old ways and follow you. It is by the 
power of the Holy Spirit. It is by the presence of God that our desires in our heart begin to change, begin to be, be transformed by the power of his spirit so that we can be obedient and walk in the commandment of God. This prayer, if, if you listen to this first part and thought, yeah, I'm good then I have a, a different prayer for you. The prayer for you if, you, if you listen to all the ways that we walk in blessing and you thought, okay, I'm, I'm covered on all those respects, then my prayer for you is this. Lord, reveal the ways my heart of my heart that are not blameless before you. Reveal the things my heart seeks after that are not you. Reveal the ways that I have transgressed around you. Because I believe our response should all be the same response of the psalmist, that when we read what it's like to be blameless, to understand, to follow the law, to give him our whole heart, to walk in his ways and let his ways be our ways that should prompt a cry from our heart and a prayer that says, God, I want to follow you. God, I want to know you more. God, I want to be blameless before you. Forgive me of the ways that I've transgressed. God, I want to do no wrong. I want to be obedient towards you. That should be the cry of our spirit. And if it's not, that means that there has been some pride that has crept in. That we have to then repent of and ask God, open up my eyes that I would not have blind spots. Bring people in my life that can reveal the ways that I have not given my whole heart to you, that can show me the blind spots. Holy Spirit, come now and convict me of sin that I have not been yet convicted, that I would learn your righteous rules and your ways. To cry out to God every single day, oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. That should be the hunger and a prayer of our heart and our lives, something that we continually meditate over, pray over. Even when Jesus told his disciples to pray, he said, not my will be done, but yours. This is that same prayer transformed a little bit. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast and keeping your statutes, God, that I would walk in your will, that I would walk in obedience to you, that I would walk in your commandments, your precepts, your statutes, and your law, that I will follow what you have called me to do. Discouragement is what the enemy would want you to feel when you read the first part of that psalm. But God is calling you closer to him to say that to walk that truly in your life, to really live that out. It's not discouragement that you need right now. It's Jesus. It's Jesus and the transforming power of his presence and his spirit right now. That is what you need. Awesome. Thank you, Brother Matt. Is that will be the thing that you walk in. That's how true it is. You need Jesus. And so uh, what the Psalms should do and what the Psalms do many times and what they're called to do is should prompt us to prayer. God, this is what you want. 
God, this is how I'm far off from that. And God, this is what I need of you today to bring me to repentance so that I can walk in your ways. So that every day that I desire, God, I, I want to know your will. I want to walk in your blessing and in your favor. Well, Father, Father, help me to be obedient to what you have called me to do. Let's pray together. God, I thank you that you don't just tell us, be obedient and walk away. But Lord, you call us to a higher standard and then you give us the power and the means to get there. Relationship with your son. And so Holy Spirit, I ask right now that you would bring a hunger and a desire to walk in this blessed obedience. Knowing that we cannot do it based off of our own willpower, based off of, Lord, our own self-determination, but it comes from fruit of being filled by your Holy Spirit. And so we ask as a church right now, Lord, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your presence. That we would be able to manifest good fruit in our lives to follow your will and your call. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.